Hey everyone, welcome to the Urban Tech Podcast. I'm John Tomey, the founder of Urban Tech and your guide to the intersection of cities and tech. The conversation featured on the podcast today is one that I had a few weeks ago with the team at Logic. I got to chat with one of the co-founders and CEO, Vincent, and Logic's new head of industry relations, Sarah. Logic is a data and analytics platform that uses location data and works with real estate developers, localities, and a bunch of other folks to use insights and data on projects better. The company recently announced an $8 million round in November and is doing a lot of interesting things. Sarah recently also joined the team and they're growing quickly in the U.S. As you'll hear in my conversation with Sarah and Vincent, they're doing a lot of interesting stuff and I think they explain a lot of the interesting contrast between data and analytics in the U.S. and Canada and also some of the biggest concerns for planners, localities, and leaders for using these products. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. One final note before getting to the conversation. If you haven't signed up yet for joining the beta or pilot for Urban Tech's first paid product, please do. I would love for you to be a part and help me shaping what it's going to be from the earliest stages. So I'm going to include a link in today's newsletter and in show notes. Just go out, fill out that quick form. Um, I'll be reaching out pretty soon to share more details on what we're building and what's to come. So thank you for all the support and on to my conversation with Sarah and Vincent. All right. My name is Vincent Charles Potter. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Logic. I have a background in finance and I studied urban planning. So I have keen interest for urban planning at large, but also real estate. My family's been in real estate. So I was swimming in from a young age and always wanted to be a real estate developer. Ended up doing a master's in urban planning, thinking that it was going to give me some sort of edge when investing in real estate, but really fell in love with urban planning. And specifically, everything to do with GIS data in order to really understand the way that cities work and using data to do that from a quantitative point of view. And then really staying at the, trying to stay at the intersection of both technology, urban planning, and real estate, and seeing how all that can contribute to innovating in the way that cities are built to better represent the needs of the people actually live in them. Nice. And I guess, Sarah, I definitely will have questions on that because I think there's a bajillion things I'm fascinated on there. But uh, yeah, Sarah, if you just want to give me your fascinating background so I can explain it when I record everything. Okay. Hi, I'm Sarah Maffey. I'm the head of industry relations at Local Logic, and I'm really focused on our local analytics tool. When I first saw our local analytics tool be demoed, I was working at TransWestern where I was on the board and also doing asset strategy on commercial uh, properties. And my background is in urban design and also economic development. And I really um, have used data along the way to make decisions. When I was doing that asset strategy work, I really um, was missing a lot of the data I needed to actually back up some of the mm-hmm. ideas that we had for placemaking in these commercial assets. And so when I saw our local analytics platform, I got really excited that it was a way to actually quantify the sense of place. And so that's um, how I ended up joining about three months ago. That's awesome. Yeah, congrats on the new role. I think it's probably super exciting and moving fast. And maybe I guess, and this is like the first official question to kick things off, but (laughs) I'm curious, and something that I've seen in like early on in my career, it's like, I feel like there's like a big technology infusion in urban planning right now. And like the 
data piece is a big part of that and using data effectively. So maybe, I don't know, Vincent or Sarah, whichever one of you wants to take it. What are you seeing and how do you think like local governments and planners are thinking differently about innovation than maybe they were like, I don't know, 10 years ago when like I was in high school and like, I don't know, I feel like the topic of no code platforms and stuff wasn't even like a thing. Like we were still figuring out how to get Excel sheets and teach people how to use word correctly. Sarah, do you want to take it? I was going to let you <laughs> this one i'm trying to think yeah i know well, i just I mean, a lot out there yeah go whichever yeah. one i think so So i think for us when we first so, so like we, we never we were never planning on, on, on starting a company really we were really geeking out doing a master's degree and and yeah. we were seeing that there was more and more data becoming available on cities every single month and you had cities like um, new york which are really good in terms of open data platforms and they were producing a ton of new data sets and that was happening on a local level throughout all of canada and the United States, which was really a big change, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically in Montreal, where we're based, we were part of that very first platform. We were working as students. We were working on this project. We were working with the city of Montreal, uh, trying to figure out which data sets would be the most useful for us to do our research on, which was a really interesting place to be. And, and what we, we noticed is back then, transportation planners were the one that were really using data the most, right? It was almost at the intersection of engineering and urban planning. And then is, that where, other, is that where like there was the most data available? Because to me, that's why it seems like that's where like transportation planners have been on the data kind of this data spot maybe earlier because they realized yeah. that like sensors can help make the flow. I don't know, at least that's my sense of it. And there was like GTFS data. And I think there was a sensor standardization of data across the or, or transportation systems. And so, so that's where a lot of, Gab and, and Colin, the two other co-founders, they were really interested by transportation planning. And so they were really seeing the value of data and transportation planning. And then when you're applying it to something like urban design or other disciplines within urban planning, you're seeing that the use of data is much less frequent. Because I think a lot of times there just wasn't enough data available. There was a project in Montreal where the parks department was trying to use data to understand usage of parks and green spaces in order to better plan and build services or activities that would bring more of the population to use these spaces. And there just wasn't any data to do that. And so they used the traffic counters to see if there was actually people using it, at what frequency, at what times of the day, and then we're able to start building policies around that. But ultimately what we're seeing is there's this huge shift towards a capturing more data on cities, but then making it publicly available, which I think is such an, an interesting concept for what we call downstream innovation. And it's kind of part of the reflection that we have, where the more data that's becoming available on cities, the more stakeholders are gonna be able to take action on that data and have a, a wider reflection on the impacts of their specific discipline or their specific silo within urban planning or within cities in general on the rest of the ecosystem. And that's really where we see such a uh, great opportunity saying, what is gonna be the impact of a new bike lane on retail offering or on home value? Yeah. Cause I feel like that's where, and this is why I like, founded a media company is I feel like all this stuff is like, not siloed actually. It actually impacts like all of it together. And it's like thinking exactly. about this and this yeah. and it's so hard to conceptualize and I was like lucky to like work on smart city projects which like right. are a whole nother like can of worms and especially on data and privacy and 
frankly, I don't know. Um, that's another conversation for another time, but I don't know. It's like all this stuff is so interconnected. So wait, Sarah, maybe this is a question for you. And like, I'm curious, cause I feel like the idea of data and open data in Canada is a much more, I feel like that conversation is in a very different place than the U S maybe, I don't know. That's the sense I get. And I feel like the data conversation like really blew up at least for consumers and stuff when Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, and that happened. But I feel like Canada has been having the conversation and like Blackberry and like a lot of the tech companies there, it's like privacy and data. It's just the conversations at a very different point. So maybe I don't know, Sarah or Vincent, if you could speak to that a little bit and how just like educating people on data or like helping just realize what's what data is and open data, like what the importance of it is to actually do downstream innovation. And I think you're absolutely right that Canada is having a very different conversation than the US. I think just going off of what Vince just said, though, that being on the economic development side for so long, I think that Things like that could happen in larger cities that had the capacity to actually gather more data and try to analyze it, understand, make decisions based off of it. But the vast majority of our communities in the U.S. just don't have that kind of capacity to even try to get that data. And so you yeah. have these processes in place where you're having like public input sessions where maybe only the people who are against a certain project or maybe are really focused on one issue actually mm -hmm. show up. And so the idea of being able to understand what consumers, what the citizens, the community actually wants, and then connect that to the development side and to the economic development organization side, where you're actually in conversations with developers making decisions on what's actually going to be built. There's a real disconnect from that right now. And so I think that's just, Vince, maybe, I think that's one of the things that our platform can mm -hmm. do is try to almost democratize the understanding of what communities actually want and yeah. bring it to that in a place where it doesn't exist right now. Yeah, I love that because I used to work in New York and so I was very familiar with the community board process yeah. and like that's, I think, a very specific example and like very niche to New York, but there's similar processes for getting economic development done in other cities and like just everywhere yeah. yeah it's so fascinating like and i don't know it's i've met founders who are trying to work to like streamline that process and like public comment and all of that and like i don't know there's not great i don't know it still feels so early and that no one really knows what the exact solution is so that's so interesting like i don't know like functionally the problem that we're seeing now mm -hmm. is that cities are incredibly complex ecosystems yeah where everything is interrelated and I think we all understand that. The problem is that each discipline, that we call them stakeholders in cities, each stakeholder is going to work in a silo. So they're going to think about whatever they're doing independently of all the other elements in that city. So if you think about the private sector or residential or real estate developers at large, they're really thinking about what they're doing from their perspective, right? From the financial risk analysis of the project that they're going to be building. Yet, whether or not you end up living in that development, it's going to have an impact on the entirety of that neighborhood of that city. Yeah. And that's something that I think that we think that data could really help solve by introducing objective, quantitative perspective on the impact of that development. Yes, on the real estate market at large, 
but also on, on environmental, on social components that are very real and will have lasting impacts on the makeup of that neighborhood or of that city for the next hundred years. And I think by bringing data into that conversation, we're able to introduce many more perspectives, voices as to what is highest and best use for that specific parcel of land. Yeah, maybe building a hundred story condo tower is from a financial point of view is, is the best, highest mm -hmm. and best use. But from a social environmental point of view, from a community building point of view, from a, a livability point of view, it might be detrimental. And yeah. so I think introducing those factors in the way that the private sector is thinking about the highest and best use, but also exposing those realities to the public sector enables us to have a more honest conversation about what should be built in where and how to optimize that for more than just one factor based on whatever perspective you might have given what you do in the urban setup. Yeah, and I, so that actually, and I don't know, Vincent, maybe, and Sarah, you too, I feel like urban planning and the discipline itself in the US is a very different, I mean, at least from, I've done some work with people in Montreal and Canada, and at least in Toronto, like the position mm -hmm. an urban planner has in the city, and I'm a big fan of Jen, Jennifer Kiesmont and like the work she's done, and you don't see too many urban planners in the U.S. Like just have the, I don't know. I just think like where planners sit in the city government, a lot of times like the political leaders are like the ones who are okay in the budgets. And it just seems like in mm -hmm. Canada, like planners have a little bit more autonomy to push initiatives towards. So maybe, I don't know, this is something I've noticed. So I don't know if there's, yeah. I don't have a specific question, but is there anything with who you're working with or something that you're noticing on that? So for us, we, we have, I think we, we're a bunch of urban planners. What we call it, we, we say we're urban planners turned data scientists. We're applying data science I love that. I love to that, by the way. urban planning discipline. And what's been interesting is that I think you're right. In, in, and in the work in the U.S., yes, urban planners is an interesting perspective, city government in the same way. But when we first started this and going back to what I was saying earlier, we never intended on building this company. What we wanted to do is have impact at large. And we identified two, two stakeholders that we call that really had an impact on the way that cities were built. The first one are citizens, right? Where you choose to live. Where you choose to live based on where your kids go to school, where you shop, uh, where you work, where you hang out, has a huge implication on the long-term sustainability of cities. And, and, and that, that decision as to where you live is pretty complex, right? You need to buy the right house in the right neighborhood. And so what we wanted to do is saying, let's provide descriptive information on location that enables consumers to take into consideration location attributes in the same way they would the number of bedrooms and bathrooms in the house, right? And so we built these location scores, which essentially quantifies from zero to 10, a bunch of different things like noise level, access to transportation, access to grocery stores, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why we started with that audience first is because we said consumers have an ability to actually shape cities based on whatever their demand is for the real estate market. The second stakeholder, and the one I think that we're really pumped to working with now, and, and Sarah is focusing a lot of her time on this, are real estate developers, right? The people functionally building our cities is the private sector. Like it or not, um, they're the ones putting up the money and actually going out and building what we're seeing uh, in our day-to-day -day lives. And so we wanted to make sure to start that dialogue with that audience of saying, look, there's, we can reduce your risk, we can increase your financial return, but we can also enable you to have 
a, a more positive social environmental impact from the work that you're doing in order to respond to the real demand of citizens. And I think that has a huge opportunity for us to be able to change what is actually being built. And then eventually, going back to your question, I think it's starting to work with municipalities. They're saying, look, we get a really good handle on how the private sector is thinking about things. And what we're seeing is that there's an openness to start using more data in the way that policy is actually being written in order to either update out-of-date policy or to be thinking about how to better structure the private sector in their work. I don't know, Sarah, if you have anything to add to that. I do. I think I might be partial to, to my response here, but in Atlanta, we mm-hmm. our, our city planner, Tim Keene, has taken a real leadership role in how we're going to respond as a city to creating greater density because we have so many people moving here. And I think that's true for a lot of Sunbelt cities in the US. Like, how are you going to respond to the mass? Yeah. I'm from know, Austin. And so, yeah, Austin's going through it right now. And as I think experiencing the benefits of getting a lot of people moving also comes with friction. So one of the things I noticed in a lot of my conversations is our developers really want to understand the current zoning and what kind of zoning trends are happening can you upzone a certain site? And so in Atlanta, for example, we have recently passed legislation that actually allows accessory dwelling units, for example, and to maximize, not maximize, but add additional units to a site that was previously like a single family so that we can get more density ITP inside the perimeter, as we say here, because that's really, it's the only way that we're going to be able to respond to basically this growing need for affordable workforce housing within the city itself. And so that's one way I think that our city planning has responded to the need from developers who say, okay, this is, you you need us to be building more workforce housing, but where are we going to do this? We need to actually respond with how we're zoning parcels. And so that's one of the things we're adding nationally in the US and Canada to be able to actually understand the zoning of sites, because I think that's one of the first things that you need to understand as you're trying to think about what your performance is going to look like for a project, for example. Yeah, no, and Sarah, maybe this is like a good question. So like the density conversation, I feel like embracing more density in the U.S. is quickly coming. And I, I live in California, so that density and more housing is like on a whole nother level in California, probably compared to a lot of it. But affordability and density in like New York, for example, is a lot more easier thing, I think, for people to embrace because like that's how the city was developed. I think like in certain places, Austin, Atlanta, like some people are more okay to the, or are more keen and open to the idea of like density, whether it's row homes is a form of density or it's like condo buildings or it's just like just using land more effectively. And I don't know, maybe... And I'm just curious, so, I know, I'm paying a lot of attention to how like cities like Atlanta, Miami, Phoenix, like how they're trying to attract this next generation of tech talent. And I think part of it is attracting like the people with money, the VCs, the people who can fund the ecosystem. But I think more importantly, it's like building housing for like the people who are actually going to go start the next generation of tech companies. Cause like, I think the money will follow wherever those people come. So is there anything specifically in Atlanta or like some of the cities you're working with that you're seeing that are like unique initiatives for attracting people and who are like 
ambitious, might go found tech startups and like probably like the VC types want to follow. Cause I think that's really like the trend that they're seeing. It's not really, they can live wherever they want probably. Cause if you're a VC. I think that because of COVID we see literally that you could live wherever you want because of these companies allowing for more remote work. And so I think this conversation was something that I was super focused on probably because I'm really nerdy about this pre-COVID. I think it's only accelerated during this time when people are really exercising that choice. And one of the things that I think cities can do and, and do with various degrees of success is really tell the story of what it's like to actually live there, to attract that yes, talent. Yes. People have to know that it's going to be a cool place and placemaking really active placemaking and telling the story of your city is really important to attracting talent. So I think that there are certain cities that Austin, everyone just knows they have that reputation already. In Atlanta, we have a few initiatives. One of them is Choose ATL, which is really focused on telling the story of Atlanta's culture. We actually have a lot of really cool stuff that comes out of Atlanta that people don't I think know. It, I think Atlanta is one of the most slept on markets for like tech, tech. I don't know. I was talking to a friend a few years ago who said Atlanta was like going to be the market, like the corporate headquarters there alone. It's like a very, I think people are realizing Atlanta is like a good place to be. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of secondary and tertiary cities that have been investing in a sense of place for a while. And right now they're reaping the benefits of that because they have the track record to say, hey, we are a really cool place. And now that people have the choice and they're looking for more affordable places to live, but still have that really cool experience, those are the cities that you see people flocking to. There's a lot of cities in North Carolina mm-hmm. um, and just throughout the Sun Belt, really. And that's really, I think, what's driving that that migration of talent and attracting that talent is probably like the leader of where we need to be paying attention to where development's going to be happening. Yeah, no, and that's such an interesting point. And the way I think about it, and I'm in California, and so like the conversation, it's like, why is everyone leaving San Francisco, the tech hub, and that's like, whatever. But I think like something that I'm seeing more interesting, why I'm excited for like cities like Atlanta, cities like Phoenix is like, these are super diverse markets where there's more industries than just tech going on. And so like when you're talking about economic development and what it, I think, I don't know, one industry towns, I don't know, San Francisco, which is mostly a tech town or like maybe DC, which is mostly a government town. Or like Houston, where I grew up, is mostly an energy sector town. I don't know. I think people want to live and be around people who are like different from them, or at least, I don't know, that's what I want in places I live. And when I talk to my friends, that's like kind of what it seems like they want. So how do you tell that story of a place like Atlanta and help people realize, or like a Sunbelt city that like, we're known in Atlanta as like hot Atlanta and like the place to be, and we have this reputation, but here's actually why it's more interesting than you might be thinking and maybe the data platform that you're working on helps tell that story. Absolutely. I was going to say our location scores for me are like the holy grail for that because you could look at our vibrancy score, for example, and anywhere in the US and Canada, see that one to 10 scale of what's going on. Are there cultural things nearby? Is it a 24 seven city or 18 hour city as we're getting into more sort of drivable cities? And I, I think that that's like a really good way of actually quantifying that experience across the board. Yeah, no, I love that. And well, I'm curious, and I think a lot of the skepticism about data, it's like the issues of the surveillance state and like I think in the US, like our idea of the surveillance state is shaped by, I don't know, in my opinion, like the Iraq war, the Bush administration, the Patriot Act, like we we're very skeptical of surveillance state in the US. It's built in the US, I don't know. 
ideals of freedom, privacy, and whatever. And so I'm curious, like, how are you trying to like get people in urban planning or like to trust like a data company? And like, how do you like make them understand that, I don't know, you're trying to build a platform to like, help stakeholders and not like go commoditize a bunch of data and I don't know, sell ads or like just use all this data to like, commoditize the people who live in cities. Cause like, I don't think that's what you're about, but I'm curious. Yeah. Like, I think it's, I think sadly, maybe where we are right now, with data and cities is mm-hmm. just trying to understand what's there. Yeah. So it, what we're trying to do essentially is build a digital representation of cities through data. So it's like understand, okay, what's there and, and why does it matter? And what we mean by why it matters is saying, if you go outside your, your house right now and you get that, you can intuitively understand what it's like to be in that space. And that's made up of thousands of different points of data that you're able to process in your brain really rapidly. And then you can easily compare and contrast one location, let's say Atlanta to Austin. And you could say, well, there's similarities, there's differences. And that's done by the setback of the house to the sidewalk. Um, it's the canopy of trees. It's going to be your sense of security. Um, it's going to be traffic patterns, how, how wide the street is, is there on-street parking or not. It's going to be thousands of pieces of information that you're connecting together to make up that sense of place. We want to do that with data. Right, so it's essentially building that map mm-hmm. of a city through data. What that allows us to do then is to compare one location with another really easily. So you're mentioning the similarities between Phoenix and Atlanta or Austin. The reality is that there are subsets of neighborhoods yep. within those cities that are very similar, I love and that. then subsets of other cities that of other neighborhoods that are very different. We want to be able to do to digitize that process. And by doing so, you can then start analyzing cities and understanding what makes up that feeling, that intuitive understanding, that sense of place for each neighborhood or each city in the U.S. And then start understanding migration patterns or whatever it is, changes in those cities to A, understand what's there, then ultimately predict what's going to happen. And ultimately, and this is the holy grail for us, is saying, could we use data to start prescribing what should be built based on what we're seeing happen? Mm-hmm. And so really starting to take out that, and this is what I, I despise the most at urban planning is saying, oh, I know, I'm an urban planner. I know yeah. what we should do, which is bullshit. It's, you don't know. I agree, right? I, I agree. And I think that's part of <laughs> yeah. the problem when you look at like the stories of Robert Moses in New York and the people, yeah. like it's people coming into cities and saying, I know this is what the people need and not exactly. talking about people in communities. And so suddenly when you have that digital representation of cities through data and you're starting to build the models on top of it and really start understanding what makes up that feeling, then you can objectively understand what should be there or what could be there based on what we're seeing happen. And I think that becomes really interesting because not only does it allow for um, really innovative new concepts, it allow- also allows us to, to start measuring other things. Right? So going back to that silo idea of saying, if we're only optimizing for financial return or only optimizing for another element, we're probably not finding the best optimized land use. And I think we have a, a, a responsibility to make damn sure that what we're building today is appropriate 
for the next hundred years because it's going to stay there for a very long time. And with, as you mentioned, mass urbanization and more and more pressure being put on cities, I think we need to develop our cities in a sustainable way that will last us for a long time and will enable us to increase the capacity of our urban centers for all this new population. No, I love that point. And I think that's a lot of the themes that I see and like why I was like, oh, I want to go build a media company to explore right. stories <laughs> and stuff. Uh, so I love all that. I don't want to, I know y'all are both super busy and like, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but what's on deck for the platform, for the company? What do you have in the works? Is there anything like readers or listeners should be paying attention to? And then also where can they go check out all of your awesome work? And like, I'll plug all your, I know you're active on LinkedIn and probably have written a lot of stuff. So feel free to like drop all the knowledge. We're doing a ton of work on our local analytics platform. So I think over the next six months, we're just gonna see so much more data and functionality built into that platform. That's really exciting. And so we've launched our early adopters program and I would, encourage your listeners to reach out and learn more about that program because I think it's a great way to just get in there, explore what our platform can do uh, from a data perspective and test it against maybe projects that they've done in the past and understand what's available to them. Because I think that where we're headed is really where Vince was just saying that I, that ability to predict and prescribe that highest and best use of a site is where we're, we're going to be using our data to get to. And so we would love to have people on that journey with us and giving us feedback on how to make our platform the best it can be. I think if, if, you're, if you're an investor active in the real estate space, or if you're just data curious, do reach out. What we want to enable is make this data as, as available as possible and, and enable downstream innovation. And so if you're an academic, if you're a city, and you want to see what kind of data we might have or our capacity as to how to process data, we want to talk to you and we want to explore those opportunities because ultimately our mission as a company is to help others build cities that are going to be more sustainable in the long run and that work for the people that actually live in them. And so to do that, we need to partner with some amazing people um, that actually make it happen on the ground. Awesome. No, that sounds good to me. And I hope everyone who's listening, reading will reach out and help you on this journey. So Vincent, Sarah, thank you so much for the time. And this is awesome. I hope I can get you back soon. One final ask before I go, please continue to share the Urban Tech newsletter and podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. Anyone who could benefit from learning about how tech is changing our cities more and more every day. Thanks. And I'll talk to you soon.